Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. When we bring guests onto the show to interview them, usually I don't know them very well. Today's guest is someone who, first of all, you've heard from her before. Um, I interviewed her a few years ago, um, actually at the start of the pandemic. Um, she is a MACO member named Nahama Schweitzer. And we have some really exciting news to announce now, which is that she is the first MACO member who has now turned into a staff member. Um, so Nahama started her journey with us several years back. Um, she is a tremendously courageous, hardworking, incredible woman. And she has come so far along in her own journey that it seemed to make perfect sense to bring her in now to start really kind of giving back now and helping people that are fresher on the journey, uh, newer to the struggle, um, guidance, wisdom, um, and really hope for what the path ahead could look like when you have the courage to confront this stuff. So um, Nahama, thank you so much for being here today and just being you every day. Thanks for having me. So just being um, me part of life, I guess. Um, we spoke in March, like 2022 or April, sorry, April, March, 2020 or April, 2020. We spoke right after Unorthodox came out. That film came out at the beginning of the pandemic and people were just glued to their screens and um, just having a blast watching how bad Hasidic Jews are. And I wanted you to come on then to give some nuance to the story of what it is like to, you know, experience challenges in the Hasidic community and also not give up your connection to being Jewish. So there's a longer version of this, of your story that um, people can find um, elsewhere on our YouTube channel on our site. We'll post a link for that. But if you could give us, you know, on one foot, all regal achas, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? How and when did you find yourself no longer able to be part of that community? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in a Hasidic community in Brooklyn. Um, I went to a Hasidic school, straight through high school, graduated from Hasidic school. Um, I knew right away that I did not want to have kids or get married, um, but that was kind of expected of me. And when a shidduch came up, I just went into it because I thought that was the right thing for me to do. And um, that's what I was supposed to do. I was married for a very brief time. That was about when I was 20. I got divorced very soon after. Um, I stayed and lived by myself because that's what I always wanted to do. I was focused on my career and in the special ed field. Um, and I stayed in the community and pretended that this is what I wanted. And I was going with the flow for a couple of years until about the age of 25, when I found that this double life that I was, I was living, the things that I really wanted on the inside did not match what I was showing other people. I had to pretend that I wanted to get married right away and have kids again, um, and I, that's not what I wanted. And I think the pretense is what really um, was the, the last straw. Um, and I fell into a deep depression. And um, it was at that time that I left the, I left uh, my community. Um, and at that time, a couple of months later is when I also found you guys, Malcolm. 
um, and started my journey of like rediscovering Judaism, relearning everything that I, everything that I have learned. So when you joined Makom, um, I think it was around six years ago, um, you were kind of really in a low point in your life, but you still, as you mentioned before, you um, were kind of missing Shabbos or doing something on Shabbat to some extent. And so you reached out to a mental health professional that you knew who told you about um, our program director, Zeldi, who sets people up for Shabbos. So your initial um, sort of entry point into Makom started with Shabbos placements um, and sort of getting to know host families. You know, we spent the first interview talking a lot about your experience in the Hasidic community. And, you know, now that you've uh, come on as a staff member, I want to spend this time talking about the healing journey because we hear so much about people rejecting being a Jewish, rejecting being Hasidic. And it's so important to talk about what does that look like for people who choose to do this? What does it look like to rebuild um, when the Jewish upbringing did not go, you know, maybe as it could have or in a way that was working. So tell us about your Shabbos placements um, when you joined Makom. What did you experience? How was it different than what you had known, you know, Judaism to be up until that point? Yeah. So I joined Shabbos placement because I just had this like yearning from inside to just experience Shabbos. And I, the only way I can explain it is just like my Jewish soul was just like yearning for something. Um, so I went to a couple of families. Um, and what I saw was completely, completely different from the way I was raised, um, from like interactions between like parents and their children to interactions between, um, uh, guests that were over there, the way that, you know, a Shabbos meal was conducted. It just, um, it was something I've never seen before. It was something that to me, um, I remember thinking, like, where have you guys been all my life? Like, this is something that I was looking for that I've never seen. What was um, appealing about it? Sorry? What What was appealing about the new type of Shabbos interactions and, you know, sort of the vibe going on in the Shabbos that you hadn't seen before? So there was a lot of just, um, like, uh, connection between parents and their children, between family members and other, and, like, guests. These are, you know, I grew up where like the women sat on one side of the table, the men sat at the end, uh, other side of the table. Shabbos meal was, you know, all about like supposed to be talking about Torah and like holy stuff. Um, it was like mostly the men who were in charge of leading, so to speak, the meal. Um, and the women were just like, on the other hand, we just had like small conversations. We didn't contribute much. And all of a sudden, um, what I saw, what I experienced is like one happy family of like, you know, parents hugging their kids. Also, again, like something I've never really experienced, especially like from my dad, but like just um, um, parents coming home from shul and the kids just like running over to hug them and, get, you know, exchange like kisses and go chavez. Um I saw just like men and women just sitting together, having casual conversation. That was something I, again, never experienced before. There was a certain um, joy and love and connection that I felt that was missing from, from, my, from my Shabbos experiences growing up. 
I just want to interject now, um, just because, you know, the more that I've learned um, in the journey, the Makom journey, and then from the other Hasidic Jews that I've met that have stayed in the community, when people speak about, you know, kind of what they see or experience, um, if something is going on sort of in your family or within sort of the circle of friends that you keep, that doesn't necessarily speak for the larger Hasidic world or other Hasidic families. And so I think that's important um, that although the families that you visited were, you know, not Hasidic, there are Hasidic families where there's affection and it's more of a chill vibe. Um, that just wasn't your experience. So I think that, you know, I just want to kind of make that clarification because I'm sure we have Hasidic people listening now on YouTube who is a different type. Your family wouldn't have watched YouTube, you know, um, and so that in itself is a distinction, is a nuance. Um, yeah, I also, I'll also add that not every person that grows up Hasidic like needs what I was looking for. Some people are happy with their family and the dynamics and they feel the joy and the connection in the way that they're raised. For me, for some reason, that was not enough. Um, and it just, you know, I was willing to give it all up because it just didn't mesh with who I was and my uh, ideas of what I wanted of life. So, you know, even within family dynamics, you can have different siblings who just, you know, choose a different lifestyle. Totally. Okay, so so the first thing was sort of the eye-opening experience of, um, I think, just a different sort of emotional vibe and sort of seeing um, Shabbos and holidays practiced in a way that felt so different because the energy in the home and the interactions between family and guests were so different than what you were used to. So I would say sort of the first component was kind of this just like new emotional awareness of how people could approach, you know, Judaism differently than what you had experienced. Um and I feel like some of the intellectual conversations started at that point for you. And then you started going to Makom events. Um, so, and I want to segue into um, the intellectual part of the Makom events um, and the classes, you know, that we hold. Um, what did that journey look like in terms of getting to finally ask your questions? How were your questions treated in your upbringing growing up versus um, your experience in Makom events? Yeah, I mean, I had so many questions. Um, I had so many questions just about God and who God is. I had questions about like, what's the big, big deal about being Jewish? Why would I want to be Jewish? For a very long time, I felt like it was such a big burden to be Jewish. And I have all these like laws and customs and things that I just have to do by default um, because I was just born Jewish. Um, I think back home, if I were to ask these questions, um, actually never geared. I think I was way too scared to ask questions. I asked questions, you know, very like uh, subtle questions in terms of like, you know, questioning different like uh, customs that we have in terms of like dressing, dress codes. And like the responses I would get would just be like, this is the holiest way to live and just suck up your feelings. And it doesn't matter what what's inspired or, or what culture says. Um, so those were like the only questions I asked back at home. But once I started taking classes and I had a, you know, a place, even I would say even at like people's houses, I started asking questions. Um, and it was like any question went, whatever question I had, I was able to ask. None of it was judgmental. Um, every, you know, every, every host I went to, every class I went to people, nobody would try to convince me of something um no one would try to like change my mind 
it was more about people sharing their perspective um, and their, what they know about Judaism. A lot of, especially in classes, I would say a lot of rabbis and just people who gave classes would bring um, different sources um, that I had never heard of, different concepts and philosophies that I just like have never learned about. It, about. Um, and I, I, you know, I kind of challenged a lot. You know, I did a lot of back and forth questioning until I feel like I, you know, heard enough different perspectives and maybe I'm jumping ahead here so you can interject, but I do feel like at some point things started like settling down for me. And I, I've, because I've had gotten enough information, um, you know, from very different perspectives and sources, I was able to kind of figure out what works for me and which ones felt right for me. And it wasn't like this one, one size fits all mentality where it's like, this is what you believe. This is what we do. And everybody's just got to do that. You know, you expressed something to me. There was a recent class that we had where we invited kind of the newer crop because at Makum we kind of have different, you know, almost like generations of people who come in um, and spend their time, you know, um, bonding with fellow members and, you know, uh, going to classes. It was a newer crop that was in on a class about a lot of controversial issues. And you wrote to me, you know, there's so many people burning with questions and I don't feel that anymore. Like you said, I'm sure I still have a million questions, but I think you stopped feeling burdened by your questions, right? There was a point kind of in your development where the questions kind of stopped um, sort of troubling your heart in the same way. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah. Very much so. You know, I think, and I remember that that event. Um, I think I've learned that there isn't like, um, you know, like that the world is not black and white, black and white. And I used to say it's like shades of gray. But then I saw one of your videos about like some artists, and now I like to say it's shades of the rainbow because I feel like the world in Torah is so beautiful and colorful. And there's so many different ways to understand like literally every single thing, and there's so much depth to Judaism and Torah um, that, you know, the things that bother me, I know that I can explore it. I know that even if I don't have the perfect answer, I can still be a good person. I can still be a good Jew and be loved and accepted, you know, despite the fact that I don't have an exact answer to everything. It's a certain like peace I came to. Love it. Um, another piece I want to get through quickly, and then I want to get to the, like my final question Makum community, um, you know, where the way we do things now, because you were one of our earlier members, we kind of just started setting up people for Shabbos right away. Our new way of doing things is that we spend time getting to know the member and now we set them up for Shabbos once we've gotten to know them better. Um, but you kind of did things backwards. You met a lot of families first and then I convinced you just go to some events, Nahama, just meet other people. So what was that process like of, you know, finding community amongst other seekers who had, you know, been through your background and were also kind of looking to try to find their path? It was so powerful. It was so encouraging um, to know that there are other people on this journey before. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people who leave the community, um, you know, leave it and leave Judaism. And I knew that was not my path. Um, and I, before I joined Makom, I haven't met other people who were on a similar journey as me. Um, and that just, um, 
that the, having that community of people who understand you and are with you on the same journey, encourage you and support you, um, it, it's so powerful. It's so hard to do it alone. I don't think anybody should do, should do it alone or is meant to do it alone. Um, and the support is it, it's everything. I think, you know, so much of what MACO members experience is a lack of acceptance. It's a lack of acceptance, you know, at home um, from, you know, leaders, teachers, lack of self-acceptance. And I think, you know, what um, the community, what we try to create is um, a community of acceptance um, and for people to be able to come with their authentic self and their authentic questions, um, obviously within boundaries, because, you know, there's still um, we still have to like live together uh, in a community and, and be careful about how we treat other people. But um, otherwise, I think acceptance is such an important um, sort of dynamic that we want to create uh, within Mako. Um, and then just like the last piece, and I would say, you know, I think in terms of the work that you've done and my seeing the healing that you've done um, is something that we've spoken about here on this show and on JewInTheCity.com on numerous occasions occasions, which is, um, inner child work, um, which, you know, my eyes got open to a couple of years ago, uh, based on this book called the emotionally absent mother, the invisible effects of uh, childhood emotional neglect by Jasmine Lee Corey. She's a non-Jewish therapist, a psychologist. She wrote about, uh, childhood emotional neglect, which I'll just give a little intro to. And then I want to hear kind of uh, what this process did for you. Uh, we're not a mental health organization, but um, we do try to bring mental health ideas into the programming that we do since there are so many mental health issues, you know, that are part of kind of this journey. So what Jasmine Lee Corey talks about is that um, when a child's emotional needs are met, um, they grow up feeling seen, held, heard, um, like they have a place they can go to uh, and turn to for help. Um, you know, we think about neglect for physical needs as making sure, sure our kids are fed and are clean and get enough sleep, but there's a whole set of emotional needs that human beings need. Um, and if a person is raised uh, with childhood emotional neglect, a severe enough amount, um, they will not know how to give this over to the next generation unless they stop and do this education. And that's a big reason why we talk about this a lot. Um, I just want to clarify that um, None of this is meant to, um, you know, project any judgment um, onto parents or how they raise their children. Uh, people can only do better when they educate themselves. And sometimes that requires sort of stopping and listening and hearing, you know, reflecting on the dynamics that you may have been raised with, that you may be raising your kids with right now. Um, and these are things that can be, you know, worked on and changed and corrected even once the child grows. So, um, Jasmine Lee Corey's sort of, uh, you know, thesis is that you can heal this childhood emotional neglect through good mother messages. And it's essentially um, self-parenting and telling your inner child, which are different stages that continue to live inside of you, whether it's, you know, a four-year-old that needs to just be held or a 14-year-old that needs to scream. Um, what ends up happening is that you can tell these inner children inside of you, um, I see you. I hear you, you can turn to me for help, I'll make time for you, you can rest in me. Um, and uh, by giving the, in, the child uh, the, the uh, messages that she's missing, um, these different children within the person can, you know, kind of uh, do the healing and kind of um, be part of the past um, 
kind of by having their needs met as opposed to, um, you know, sort of continuing to trouble the adult self. Um, what I realize is that these different uh, good mother messages seem so true that they must be in the Torah. And I kind of just did a quick Google search. And one by one, I found each of these good mother messages in different Jewish sources. So with that long introduction, Nechama, um, how long had you been in uh, therapy for when I told you about this book that I was reading that I thought might um, you know, be relevant to the, the Makom journey? many years. I must have been in therapy probably for like seven years at that point. I mean, I've gone through a lot. So like a lot of my years of therapy was just about managing my day-to-day life. Um, And then it it really wasn't until like, you know, the past couple of years where it just felt like I was kind of um, stuck where I just like, I, I wasn't feeling like I was moving some, you know, moving along and healing in a, in a way that I kind of wanted to. My past just kept coming up for me and I just wasn't able to face it. And every time I would, I would just like spiral out and I would have to stop, um, which was when you actually started, in, you told me about the inner child work and I brought it to my therapist who I have to say, I have to give her a lot of credit because she had never really heard of that concept, but she just took it. Um, and she kind of went on, you know, started this new journey with me of um, going back in time and remembering just different events in my life or just different moments in my life in the past and also now in the present where really what I needed and what I or what I need right now, it's like kind of doing like the past and the present at the same time where the moments when either what I needed or what I need is just someone to validate my feelings, somebody to turn to, to talk to about what I was going through, someone to just check in with me and say, hey, I got your back. I'm here with you. You're not alone. Uh, And growing up, I did feel very alone. I never spoke about my feelings. It wasn't ever um, talked about or encouraged. I didn't know how to handle my feelings, really. I would go for days without talking when I had like these big feelings and I just like, I just couldn't get out of it. Um, So this concept of like being, uh, having like a a parent, you know, even if you don't actually have a parent, but me showing up for myself or either the younger me or the me now and being able to validate her and tell her she's not alone and um, tell her that she's um you know I'm here for you and I'm going to support you through whatever you're going through and no matter what I accept you and I um and I love you um that was and is like something that continues to be a tremendous um a tremendous uh asset for me I want to also say it's almost like a, a coping skill for me at this point when I find myself in situations where like I'm just like sobbing or in so much pain or like I wish my mom was here to hug me and tell me that I'm okay and that I'm not alone I can stop myself and I can say like okay this is the time when I have to bring in that fear and for myself you know and I can do that and say hey I'm here for you I'm holding you I can love you um and the I want to jump onto what you said where you found the sources in the Torah that actually is God 
you know, giving us those mother messages to me, that was so powerful. Um, I remember once when I was, you know, reliving some, you know, some past experiences and I was just like crying like so much. And I was just like trying to like find something in me to like soothe myself. And all of a sudden I did feel like I felt God was just there and he was giving me these messages and telling me I'm here for you. I love you. And I know whatever is going on right now is so painful, but you're not alone. Um, you know, the journey is definitely not over. I think, you know, there's still a, a way, way to go for me. But I, I feel like right now I have a tool, I have a skill that is so powerful. Um, and is and has helped me make a pro the progress that I haven't made in so long. Um, and I, I use it like, really all the time. It's, you know, even when I'm not dealing with past experiences, when I'm dealing with, you know, just day to day life events, I just, it's almost like I can show up for myself and be there for myself. Something I never like really understood. I realized this like recently, I never really understood what that means to like really show up for yourself. But now that I've learned how to like self parent and I've learned what these mother messages really mean, um, I just feel like I'm there and I got myself and I, it, it's a tremendous, tremendous gift you've introduced me to. Um, and that I now have that is, um, it's very powerful and very, very helpful. You know, Zeldi, our program director had actually been talking about this for years in her own words, and I didn't quite understand, um, you know, she would say, give yourself compassion. So it was definitely a message that was floating around. I just found the language that Jasmine Lee Corey uses in this book to be so descriptive and fit into so many patterns of what I had seen with Mako members. Um, you know, I think the point of finding the sources in different parts of the Torah, Talmud, you know, Tehillim is that this is what we're supposed to feel about ourselves coming down from on high. And due to many different reasons, um, for some parents, they were not raised with these good mother messages, um, you know, to not uh, talk about anyone specifically in the Jewish community, in the, you know, from community, there's a lot of Holocaust survivors, certainly with, you know, families decimated or going through, you know, tremendous uh, trauma. Um, I would say also, I think in the black community with, when we say intergenerational trauma, like these are the things we're talking about where um, there's just so much pain that comes down through family lines that parents don't know how to give over this these, you know, feelings or these qualities or this safety and security to their children. Um, and that's why talking about it is so important. Um, it's why, let's just be honest, doing this work is really painful. Um, I've heard so many people express a sense of shame of having to be their only person for themselves. It's a really hard thing to kind of get yourself over of saying like, I will be there for me, even if you may feel ashamed that I'm the only one that I have in this way. But Nechama, kola kavod to you that you, you've persisted um, and you've given yourself, you know, I think it's really a toolbox um, because the journey's not over, but um, you have the tools now of what to do when, you know, you face the challenges. And that, that's exactly why we brought you on now as a staff member um, at Makom so that you can, I think, help other members um, feel comfortable, give themselves permission to um, give to themselves like that. 
So um, we're nearly out of time, but if we have some, just a closing thought to anyone listening now who may have been raised, um, you know, in a Jewish home that didn't fit in a home where they didn't feel like they belonged. Um, oh, and I guess give us an update also on your thoughts now about marriage and children. Right. So for, for a very long time, I, um, I didn't want to have kids or, or get married. I think that was mostly because I saw the world as such a dark, horrible place to be. Um, and why would I want to give that to anybody else? And my view has like done a, like I've gone, done a completely 180, you know, thanks to you and thanks to so many other people at Macomb and not at Macomb who have supported me, um, in the past, you know, now still and in the past that it's, you know, I would, I would love to get married. I would love to have a family. And to all of those who are still in the community or do need the support or feel like life is not what you want it to be, you know, come and find Macomb, come and find you in the city. There's, there's hope. There really is. And there's support. I feel like the biggest thing is to know that you're not going to be alone. You don't have to be alone. Um, Makom is here for you. Um, and, you know, like Allison said, one of the biggest things is acceptance. And at Makom and the families and the hosts I've been to, it's it's just there's so much love and there's so much acceptance. Um, it takes a lot of courage to take that jump. You don't have to just like, you know, leave right away. But just come and get some support, see what we have to offer. You can take it or leave it. No pressure. Um, it's a good, it's a good place to be. I mean, and, um, you know, we kind of feel like a little like parents to the Mako members because we're a bit of a family and um, it's really the biggest bracha for parents to get nachas from uh, their children. <laughs> and we, the entire staff feels, and so many of feel so much nachas from from you and your bright light um, and your courage and your strength. So keep on shining, Nechama. Um, and thank you so much and see you at the next staff meeting. Yes, thank you so much. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.